welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this is such a beloved text um, for those who are familiar with your word. This is a text that so many times has brought us back to you. And we're so thankful to be able to spend time in it. And Lord, it's, uh, it's a call that's so simple, and yet we refuse it so often. And so we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would help us Help us not to resist this amazing hospitality that you have, this amazing welcome that you're extending, this amazing heart of love that you have for each one of us. Lord, I just pray for each person that's here that they would so deeply sense your love for them, that they would find the call to you irresistible. Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. You are irresistible. Your glory is what our hearts are made for. Your love is what our hearts so deeply need. Your mercy and forgiveness solves our greatest problem. Lord, it makes no sense. It makes no sense for us to stand aloof from you. We pray as this text calls us in that we would enter, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Hebrews is called the book of Hebrews, I mentioned this before, because it was written to a a group of Jewish Christians in the first century in the Roman Empire, and these Jewish Christians were tempted to to leave Christ and to instead go back to Judaism. And they were tempted to do this because of the political situation there, which is that Jews were not persecuted by the Roman Empire at this time like Christians were. And so these people being identified as Christians and starting to undergo severe persecution, their natural thought growing up Jewish would be, let's just go back. It's the same God. It's the same, you know, we'll just go back. We're not really leaving God. We're just leaving the heat of following Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews wants to show them over and over again, that would be leaving God. That would be leaving the one he sent. The writer of Hebrews shows how Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you would ever want to leave him for, anything that you would choose him over, Jesus is better. And, and he shows throughout this, too, that Jesus is better than anything that they would go back to in Judaism. He's, we've already seen that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. This text shows that Jesus is better than their priesthood. And for us, guys, to read a text like this about Jesus being a better priest and stuff might seem a little bit foreign, because it's, it's probably the case that that you don't naturally think of yourself as needing a priest. 
You probably don't think culturally of yourself as needing a priest. A priest is a mediator, a mediator between God and people. A priest offers sacrifices and prayers to get you forgiveness and help. And modern people just don't see a need for that, right? If you didn't grow up in the church or you didn't grow up in a a religious environment, you're probably not seeing your need for a priest. You might have a list of professionals you need. Perhaps you moved to a new area and you need to find yourself a good doctor, you find a good dentist, a good mechanic. What other things would you look for? A good vet. Yeah, you need a good horse vet, you know? That's super important, you know? Where, why would you go anywhere without one? But one of the things you probably don't think is, I need to find myself a priest, right? You don't think you need a priest. But the context of this passage, verse 13, shows us why we do need some kind of priest. We need some kind of mediator to make things right between us and God. Take a look at verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Some things we learn in this, that verse about why we need a mediator is that we're creatures. Isn't that interesting? He says, no creature is hidden from its sight. And immediately you think of like animals. You don't think of yourself, right? It, we tend not to think of ourselves as creatures. Do you think of yourself as a creature? Think of yourself more of a creature than a creator? Which one do you kind of more associate with? Our culture says the opposite of this. Our culture says that we're the creator. We create ourselves, Right? We, we decide who we are, how we identify. We decide what we're here for. You know, perhaps we even create our own God. We decide what kind of God we'd be willing to believe in, what kind of God we would like to believe in. But guys, it's the exact opposite. We're creatures. We're creatures created by God. God defines who we are. God defines why we're here. We're his creatures. Don't you love being his creature? I just think it's so cool to think of that. It's actually a real relief to realize you're not the creator, but you're a creature. It's, it's a real relief. We are creatures that were created by a good and wise and loving and righteous God. And because we're creatures of his, we're accountable to live for the purposes that he created us for. And so we're creatures. Also, you notice in verse 13 that we're creatures that can't hide. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are exposed and naked to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. You might ask there like, okay, well, why would I want to hide from God? What, what Old Testament passage, what Old Testament event does verse 13 remind you of? You think creature, naked, hidden. Jonah? Adam and Eve? Jonah's a good one too. Adam and Eve, right? It reminds you of Genesis 3. At least that's what it reminded me of. And I have some backing here. Um, although it's divided. But Genesis 3, remember Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They, they hear the sound of him approaching, and it says in Genesis 3 that, they, that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, and they sewed fig leaves together to hide their nakedness. Guys, that's what sin does, isn't it? We sin, and what do we want to do? We want to hide. We want to cover ourselves. We want to cover our shame. We, we think that if we can kind of hide our sin from each other, it must, if it were, it's good enough for other people, which it probably isn't, if it's good enough to hide from other people, it's good enough to hide from God. But it turns out that the coverings that we make over our sin and over our shame, they turn out to be just as flimsy as those fig leaves, right? Because God sees. He sees right through. Verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him whom we must give an account. And just as God came into the garden... And he called out and he looked for him and he said, where are you? There's coming a day when God will return and everyone will give an account to him. We'll all give an account to him for everything we did, everything we said, everything we thought. 
And, and this comes to a really serious head in Revelation 20. It describes it this way. Let me describe it to you. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on the throne. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Imagine that. Imagine God returning, and he returns on this great white throne, and it says, heaven and earth flee away. Isn't that wild? Like, like a, a shady apartment, and you turn on the light, and cockroaches flee. Like that God approaches, and his throne comes up, and heaven and earth flee away. It's just us and God, right? It'll be a moment when it's just us and God. And it says, And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. You talk about exposed, talk about not being able to hide. I think we can all agree, if we think about those books, if those books are our lives, our thoughts, our actions, the things that we've said, man, there's plenty of things in that book to, to convict me. There's plenty of things in that book to declare me guilty. Now, having said that, you can see the reason why we need a priest, right? The good news is that there's a person, and that person, his purpose is to solve this problem. His purpose is to solve the problem of your sin and God's judgment, right? And in the Old Testament, they were called priests, and they would offer sacrifices for the people's sin, and they would pray to God so that God would help the people. Doesn't verse 13 make you feel like, okay, I think I do need a priest now? You're like, okay, yeah, the dentist is important. (laughs) I do need a good mechanic, but what I need the most, right? What I need the most is I need a mediator. I need someone to solve this problem. I need someone to take away my sin and reconcile me to God. A priest is your greatest need, and not just any priest, because this isn't an advertisement for a merely human priest. You need Jesus, the great high priest. Amen? Now, verse 14 shows us that in every way those Old Testament priests were mediators for the people, Jesus does it better. The theme of this book, Jesus does it better. And in this text, we're going to see that Jesus is a better priest because of where he's at, because of what he feels, what he feels for you, And because of what he gives. First, where he's at. Jesus is better than all the Old Testament priests because of where he's at. Where he's at right now. Look at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus has passed through the heavens. (laughs) Jesus has, we celebrated it weeks ago, he has ascended into heaven. If you're a Christian this morning... There is a man, the God-man, Jesus, right now representing you in heaven before God. Isn't that amazing? It's not just like you and you're like, oh, yeah, I hope I'm a Christian. I hope I'm doing enough. I hope I've kind of like been good enough. No, 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 no. You have a high priest in heaven. He's passed through the heavens and he's in heaven. He's representing you. In the Old Testament, the high priest would just go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, There's this very inner part of the temple where only the high priest could go, and he was only welcome to come in once a year. And he would go in there, and he would offer a sacrifice for the people, and he would pray for them. And the high priest would wear this breastplate, this this thing on his chest. They had 12 stones, and those 12 stones, there was a stone for each tribe of Israel. And so what he's doing when he's going in is he's bringing the people in with him you know, symbolic, right? That he's going in, but they're going in too. They're going in on this breastplate. And he's the mediator and he's coming into God's presence and he's bringing all God's people in with him, okay? Something very similar to what Jesus has done. It's exactly what he's done. It was as if he was carrying the people of Israel into God's presence. 
And that high priest, he would offer a sacrifice and he would pray in that one place once a year. And then he would get out as quick as possible, okay? Because it was dangerous to go in there. You could be struck dead there. God is a holy God. And, and you know, the concern was if he doesn't accept this sacrifice, like, I'm in trouble, right? There were stories that they would tie like little bells to the, to the robe of the high priest so they could hear him jingling in there because they could know he's still alive. Okay, it's that scary, right? And there's stories, too, that they would tie a rope around his ankle, right? Because if he does drop dead, like, who's going to go and get him? I think it's your turn, you know? Like, no, like, you're not going in, right? And so you could just kind of drag him back out, right? Safe. We'll try next year. You know, I don't know what this says for this year that this happened. And so they had the bell and they had the rope. If God allowed the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies and minister before the people, it showed that God not only accepted the priest, but the people. So they'd all wait outside and they're thinking like, okay, like, let's see how this goes. And high priest goes in and he was able to go in there and he was able to minister and he was able to pray for the people and he was able to come out successfully and they could know like, God accepts us. God's accepted the sacrifice. We're good with him. Here's the thing, guys. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for your sin on the cross, and he now represents you in the true Holy of Holies. We're going to find out later in the book of Hebrews that the temple was actually like a little diorama of what's going on in heaven. It was a little picture of heaven. It was a little picture of the heavenly throne room. And uh, it was just a copy. It was just a, a, a thing to display some spiritual principles to point forward. Jesus went not into the Holy of Holies. He went into the true Holy of Holies in heaven. And you know what, guys? He's still there. He's still there. And we know that we're accepted by God because Jesus, our high priest, not only was able to enter into the real Holy of Holies, but it says in Hebrews 1 that he got to sit down there and that he's stayed there and he's lived there for the last 1,990 years, right? And he's very comfortable there because holiness is very comfortable in the presence of holiness, right? We're accepted because our priest is acceptable in heaven, that he represents us there. And, and if you're in Christ, you're connected to him, not by some rope, but by the Holy Spirit. That you're actually connected to Jesus right now by the Holy Spirit and where he is, you are. And it shows that you're fully accepted. Jesus is the better priest because of where he's at. He passed through the heavens. Which means that Jesus is, wouldn't you guys agree, perfectly positioned to get you forgiveness and help. Isn't he perfectly positioned? Where else would we want to put him? <laughs> you know, He's perfectly positioned in heaven to give you forgiveness and to give you help. So he's a better high priest because he's where he's at. Also what he feels. What he feels for you. What does he feel for you? Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does Jesus feel for you this morning? I think this is a really important question for you to ask often. You know, some of the things we might think is disappointed, frustrated, right? Tired. What does this text say? How does he feel for you? It's an open book. You can totally... I know that with the last question, there was some division on it, and you're uncomfortable now. But I, I think you'll get this one, okay? And not that the Jonah people were wrong. I'll think about it later. But what does he feel for you? Sympathy, right? He says he feels sympathy. He feels sympathy for your weakness and your temptation. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with what you're tempted with right now. 
Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And in his full humanity, he was fully tempted. Just think about this this morning. Like, what are the two top temptations that you have in this season of your life? You just think of what it is. You don't have to call it out. That's okay. Depends on how you feel, but, you know, it'd be fine. We'd be supportive. Two top temptations that you have right now in your life, the things that you're dealing with right now, the two top temptations. And what this text says is that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He knows exactly what that's like, not because, just because he's God, but because he felt it from the inside as a human being. He's been tempted with the very same things we are. One of the reasons he was tempted with what we were tempted with is so he could become our perfect righteousness, right? He went through every temptation we had, and in everywhere we failed, he succeeded. And that perfect life, that perfect righteousness has been given to you as a gift so that God sees you in his perfect righteousness. But that's not what this text is about. This text is, is to point out the fact that he did all those temptations, he endured them to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus was tempted in every way you're tempted. And some of you guys have friends that you um, really close with, you confess your sin, you ask for help, and they're tempted too, but they, they might not be tempted with the same things you are. You ever have that feeling? You have a friend's accountability, and they're not tempted with the same things you are. And so you might have that sense of disconnect, like you really appreciate it, and I would just urge you to continue that because, you know, you don't have to be tempted with the exact same things as somebody else is to be a help to them, Right? But you have that sense of disconnect, right? Of like, yeah, I appreciate that they care. It seems like they're very sympathetic. But do they really know what it feels like? Can they really sympathize with the temptation I have? The answer with Jesus is yes. (laughs) Yes. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He was tempted in the same way as you are. And one of the other things about Jesus is he felt the weight of that temptation that you feel way more than you ever have. Okay, not only been tempted with the same thing, but he's felt the weight of temptation way more than you have. And the reason is because he never sinned. A lot of times we don't get to the full weight of temptation because we fall. We give in and then it stops, right? Jesus never stopped. He never gave in. The weight of temptation built over and over and heavier and heavier. He felt the full burden and pain and weight, the crushing weight of temptation, a few reasons for this. I mean, you got to figure the fact, too, that he came to be our righteousness. He came to be our salvation. If the devil can take down Jesus, then all our hopes are gone, right? And so you got to think the devil was especially tempting him, that all the assaults of the devil came upon Jesus. We can see that in the temptation in the wilderness for those 40 days. You remember that Jesus was tempted in three ways by the devil there. He was tempted to serve himself, right? you know, turn this stone into bread, right? And he had been not eating for 40 days. This is a severe temptation. He was tempted to exalt himself, you know, throw yourself from the top of the temple. You know, the angels will carry you. They'll pick you up. You know, he was, he was tempted to exalt himself. He was tempted to save himself. Satan said, you know what? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down to me. He goes, I know what you're here to do. You're here to, to, to be king. You're here to to conquer. You're here to save a people, and you're here to take the exalted throne over the world. He's like, I'll give it to you easier. You don't have to go through all this crucifixion stuff. Bow down to me, I'll give it to you, right? So he was tempted to save himself. And those are just broad categories, but he was tempted in every particular way we are. Jesus was tempted to lie. He was tempted to be unfaithful. He was tempted to anger. He must have certainly been tempted to be impatient with his disciples he was tempted to bitterness. 
He was tempted to lust. Uh, He was certainly tempted to despair. He was tempted to fear man. He was tempted with everything, everything that we are. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. And it wasn't just those 40 days, right, in the wilderness. It was his whole life. And temptation never let up. It kept building because he never gave in. All the forces of hell piling upon him and the pressure and the pressure and the pressure year after year. It's like a deep-sea diver. You know, like a deep-sea diver, they feel more and more pressure on their body as they descend deeper and deeper into the abyss, right, until their body is going to implode. As Jesus says, he faces more and more pressures of temptation every day, every year. It increases on him every day, especially leading up to the cross. That pressure becomes particularly excruciating as the cross approaches. That pressure of temptation was so great on him that he actually sweat great drops of blood the night before the cross as he pleaded for some other way with the Father. Talk about pressure. (laughs) That's pressure, right? But there was no other way to save us, so he arose from prayer and he passed the test. And he was tempted to run from the soldiers. He would have been tempted to hate those ignorant religious leaders that were blaspheming him that day in those trials. He was tempted to save himself when Pilate was questioning him. He was tempted to recoil his hands and his feet as they were pierced with nails. He was tempted to resent his torturers. Do you remember what he did? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Other priests, guys, other priests, they'll know what it's like to be tempted, but maybe not tempted with what you're tempted with. Jesus has been tempted in in all ways you are. He knows exactly how it feels. He can sympathize. He does sympathize with your weakness. Other priests know what it's like to be tempted in sin, but only Jesus knows what it's like to endure the full weight of temptation his whole life as he never gives into it so it never stops. Guys, we didn't need a priest that would share in our defeats, Right? We needed a priest who would share with us his victory. And that's what we have in Jesus. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what gives us confidence to draw near to Jesus because of what he feels for us. He sympathizes with your weakness and your temptation. Like when you come to him and you either come to him for help or you come to him for forgiveness, he's not like, how could you? (laughs) Right? He's like, man, I know exactly what that's like. You know, I know exactly what that pressure's like. You're like, you know, I'm so glad you came to me because that, that's something I can totally identify with. That does not surprise me. And it's not that he's lenient about sin. It's not that he, you know, gives a pass for sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you come with a repentant heart for sin, and he's like, I get that. I totally get how that happened. You have friends like that? You know, they're not lenient, squishy people that are just like fine with whatever you do. But when you confess your sin and you're clearly broken about it, they're like, no, that makes sense. I see how that happened. You know, I've felt that before. That's what Jesus is like. That's what God is like. This is God we're talking about. So Jesus is a better high priest because of where he's at, because of what he feels, and because of what he gives. Let's take a look at verse 16. And this is a, like in response, right? He says, let us then, like based on all that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One thing I want you to notice here is what happened to that great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20. What happened to it in this text? Great white throne of judgment. What, what happened to it? It became a throne of grace. How cool is that? Isn't that amazing? For those of us who are in Christ, God's great white throne of judgment has become a throne of grace. 
become a throne of grace. Through Jesus, God has found a way to turn the throne of judgment into a throne of grace for you. Isn't that amazing? You know, look at what happened. Like in verse 13, we're exposed and naked and we can't hide our sin and we have to give an account. And then all of a sudden here in verse 16, we're confidently marching right up to God's throne for help and grace in time of need. That's interesting, right? You don't march up to the great white throne of judgment. Say, hey, I need a few things. <laughs> you know, right? No. But he's turned it into a throne of grace where we confidently just walk right up to the throne of grace to ask for help. Like the way your kid does, right? Middle of the night, hear a little knock on the door. I want water. And you're like, fine. You know where it's at. <laughs> Actually, I would pretend to be asleep and Tasha would take care of it. But uh, got me out of a lot of diapers too. So now I'm a heavy sleeper, probably real sleep. I don't know what you think. Sometimes pretending. But anyway, that confidence that your kid has, that they can just come into your room and wake you up and say, I want water, right? That's the kind of confidence we have at the throne of grace. Goes from the great white throne of judgment and because of Jesus, now it's like, I need water. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm so glad you came. Isn't that amazing? Not like me, right? It's like, I've been waiting for this, you know? So good. So how did that throne of judgment become a throne of grace? It's because the one who is seated on that great white throne came down to hang on a bloody wooden cross. The same one who sits on that great white throne came down to hang on a bloody wooden cross. Jesus, the creator, took the blame of his creatures. How crazy is that? Creator took the blame for his creatures. On the cross, it was Jesus who was the one who was naked and exposed and gave an account for all of our sin. We know historically he would have been physically naked. That's the way they did it. They shamed people as much as possible. But his true exposure was the way he was laid bare before God's wrath for all of our sin. He was the one that was naked and exposed and gave an account for us. The one who was without sin bore our sin. Through the cross, guys, God has turned that throne of judgment into a throne of grace. And if you're a Christian this morning, you've got to remember this because you probably don't believe it. You always have the throne of grace. He's shifted it so it's the only way the throne can face you is for you to get the throne of grace. You always approach the throne of grace. And I know sometimes you feel very convicted about your sin, maybe even feel condemned by the enemy, and you feel like you're going to approach the throne, great white throne. You approach the throne of grace always, even especially in your sin, as we're going to see here in just a moment. But let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How do we draw near? I just want to make it real simple. How do we draw near? We pray. <laughs> we pray. It's simply by praying. It's coming to God in prayer. That's how we approach his throne of grace. And when you do, you will always receive, it says, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word mercy there points more towards the forgiveness you get when you're in sin. The word grace there in this context refers to the help you get when you're tried, when you're tempted, when you're weary, when you're beat down. And he offers both. He gives both. Because of this throne of grace, guys, I just want to say a couple things to you really clearly. Because of the throne of grace, you don't need to hide anymore. You shouldn't hide anymore. You don't need to hide like Adam and Eve hid. There's no reason for you to keep hiding. Some of you guys have made a whole lifestyle of this. Like, you need to stop hiding. Hiding in your shame. Approach him with confidence. 
I think it's interesting, this confidence, because if you think about this, you're like, yeah, I approach God with confidence sometimes. When do you approach God with confidence? When you're doing pretty good, right? You're like, I've had some pretty dang good quiet times. Like, I'm sure the apostles are up there going like, whoa, look at what he's doing with that word, you know? Right? Or I shared the gospel, or I was serving the church, or I didn't yell at my kids this week, or whatever it is, right? And you're like, yeah, I feel pretty confident to open the word and to pray and to come before God. That's not what this is talking about, guys. Some of you will actually put yourselves in kind of a spiritual timeout, you know, like you might with a little kid, you put them in timeout. You put yourself in that spiritual timeout when you sin, when you fail, because you think, you know, I need to wait a little while until I feel a little more worthy to be around him. Any of you guys do that? That's what the enemy wants you to do, guys. And it's exactly the opposite of what this text is saying. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. When? In time of need. Would you say, would you not say, that in your time of sin, you're in a time of need? That's when you're supposed to come confidently. You're not coming confidently because finally you feel like you measure up and you're like in the right place to be around God. No. You come because of who he is. Our confidence to approach God is not based on our performance. It's based on our priest, right? It's based on our priest. What's the confidence based on? Who Jesus is, what he's doing, where he is, how he feels about you, what he offers. That's where your confidence comes from. A lot of times our confidence is tied to our own performance. Check yourself. It probably does. But I feel like, man, I really feel like having a quiet time. Why? Because you feel pretty good about yourself right now. No. You got to come when you're in sin. Our confidence in Jesus is about where he's at, how he feels about us, what he gives. Our confidence is in his mercy, not our merit, right? Okay, good. Just remember that. Write that down. Okay. And maturity in faith, guys, doesn't look like less and less trips to the throne of grace, okay? Maturity in your faith does not look like, you know, I don't need to go there very much anymore. I used to have to go there a lot because I was kind of messed up. And now I just, I need to visit, I don't know, daily, weekly, once a month. No, maturity and faith, guys, looks like more and more trips to the throne of grace. It looks like quicker and quicker returns when you're in sin. That's what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like, man, I've hugely blown it. Jesus, please forgive me, draw me in, help me. Man, I need you. And you're like, well, that was a little quick. I don't know if you took that sin seriously enough. You ever feel like that? I was reading an older author, and it was a book about sin. It was from hundreds of years ago. I mostly like people hundreds of years ago. But this particular book, it had this sense of like, if I'm not spending a little bit of time dragging myself through broken glass before I return, maybe I'm not really repentant. Or maybe I shouldn't go to the throne of grace until I'm really repentant. I think you should go immediately. What do you guys think? Let's go immediately, because it turns out we're not going to do a whole lot of good in that interim. <laughs> Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. How much of our life do we want to spend alienated from him, trying to figure it out? Guys, it means quicker and quicker returns. The Greek here literally says, keep on continually drawing near. It says, keep on continually drawing near. As often as you sin, as often as you have need, you need to come to him. You will not wear God out. It was his invitation, by the way. It isn't that the writer of Hebrews is like, you know, hey, you can go to God, you know, continually all the time. And God's like, I never told him to say that. This is God's invitation to you. This is what he told you to do. When you come, you're coming at his invitation. You'll never wear him out. And don't just come for forgiveness, come for help. That's what the word grace here is about. It's about the help we get. 
And, and what we can see from that is you don't need to try to go it alone. Some of you guys are like, I'll do it myself. You've been saying that since you were little kids. I do it myself. You don't do it yourself. Like your spouse knows you don't do it yourself. We've all seen it. You don't do great yourself, okay? We don't go it alone. We, we come to the throne of grace for help. Do you guys remember what God said to Cain when he was tempted to kill his brother? He said to him, Cain, and it's so tender, and it's so beautiful that, that, that God would do this. He comes to Cain, and he goes like, Why are, what's wrong? What's up with you? And then he says to him, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. What should Cain have done in that moment? He should have been like, I know. Help me. <laughs> help me. Right? I want your help. Like, I, 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 I need you. That's what he should have done, right? What did he do? He did it himself. Right? He did it himself. Sin is crouching our door to have us. All we need to do is reach out. He's going to help us, guys. He's going to help us. We're going to draw near. We're going to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I just ask, are any of you trying to fight temptation on your own this week? Are you trying to do it on your own? How's it going? It's the best question. How's that going for you? <laughs> you know? How's that going for you? How's it gone the last dozen times? Let me ask you if you already run that experiment. How many of you guys already ran that experiment? Did you get pretty solid data on it? Okay, you got pretty solid data, right? It's like, we need to stop doing it on our own. Jesus gives grace to help in time of need. And guys, who better to go to? Because you think like, man, temptation's like beating me up. I'm really struggling. Who better to go to than the one that was tempted in the same way you are? He knows exactly how you feel. He sympathizes with your weakness. And he actually learned how to fight that exact temptation by the power of the Spirit and did it perfectly. That very person, Jesus, is offering you his help. This would be a good place to go. <laughs> and he'll go further because he'll actually live through you. And we should draw near with confidence. If, are you getting a time of need? Do you need help with this week? Do you need help with this week? Do you need help with your kids, with your spouse? Do you need help at your work? Do you need help with your emotions? Anybody need help with their emotions? Anybody not have a handle on those quite yet? You need help with your frustration or your bitterness? Do you need help with your apathy? Do you need help with your cynicism? Does anybody need help with their anger? Does anybody need help with their emptiness? You're like, I'm a Christian, but I feel so dang empty. You need help with your fears? Guys, draw near to him. Draw near to him. He is ready to help. And I would think, I mean, I'm just guessing, I would think we would need to do this a lot, right? I would think this wouldn't be daily, right? This would be hourly. This would be, I mean, in any time of need. We sense the need. Either because of our sin or we can feel our weakness, we can feel the temptation, and we immediately run to him, right? And we bring it all to him. Coming to him is putting your confidence in him. You're going like, he's the right person for this, so I'm coming to you. That's why we come in prayer. We don't come in prayer to like earn points with him or something like that. We come to him because we know he is the, exactly the right person to handle this. He's perfectly positioned. He's passed through the heavens. He, he's, he's got all the resources of heaven. He knows exactly what we feel like. He's tempted in all the ways we are. He's sympathetic. He's got everything you need, doesn't he? Mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's exactly what we need. Why not ask him for it every day? I don't usually end with like a poem and a song. I won't be singing. That's a classic though, old sermons. Like end with a poem, you know? I don't know why. But you guys know that old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? So let me read it to you and we'll end on this because I think it really captures this. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then listen to this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should not be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, that's what we want to do. We want to be the kind of people who run to you. The first sign of temptation, the first sign of weakness, at the first heat of a trial, at our first falling in sin, we just want to be the people that are run to you. Lord, make us, make us wise in that area, Lord. Make us the type of people that are so confident in your son Jesus that we just run to you. And Lord, I know there's people here in this room, in our body, who their experience of temptation is very much like that diver. And they feel the pressure more and more. I pray for people that are single, that are dealing with pressures of singleness. Um, people that are married, dealing with pressures of marriage. I pray for people that deal with all sorts of temptations. Temptations maybe they don't even feel comfortable talking to other people about. I pray that they would. But Lord, you know. You know the temptations of suffering, trial. Your son Jesus knows it personally. Minister the hearts that are here, Lord. Even during this time, even as we take communion and we, we hold that bread and we take that cup, into us, we pray that you would, in a fresh way, fill us with hope. We pray, Lord, that you, in a fresh way, fill us with your spirit, stir us up, give us a sense of joy and peace that we have not known. And we pray this so we would know it's you, that it would just be that way that you're just giving us a head nod. I'm here, I see, I care. And we pray, Lord, as we sing these songs of worship, that then too, Lord, you would fill us, you would strengthen us. And we pray, Lord, that having that taste of your goodness, having that taste of joy from you, that we would continually come back to the throne of grace for more. Lord, we know that the supply of joy and the supply of grace and the supply of mercy there is never-ending. You don't ration it to us. There's always more. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.